0: Tim, I'm just going to face you, that's all right.: I pray that start. Yeah. Um, Father, thank you so much for the privilege to gather here tonight. Thank you so much for Tim um, and for all his preparations. I pray for everyone in here now. I pray that you would um, open up our hearts to be alert and awake to listen and receive your words. Um, I pray that you would be challenging us and that um, you would really use Tim as an instrument to teach us. Lord, bless him today and may your spirit be present here. Amen. Amen. Come on, cool. Great. Try that again. There we are. Very good to see you. If we haven't met, I'm Tim. I'm the vicar. Um, and uh, if you want to stick a finger in um, page four six six, chapter one of Nehemiah, I'm going, to get, I'm going to read that in a minute. I'm going to sort of tear it up with a few words. Um, but just to say on Nehemiah, if you're new or visiting or been away for a little bit, we have been tracking this kind of autobiography. Nehemiah writes it very much in the first person. Um, and he was charged by God, really, to, uh, inspired by God to go back out of uh, exile, back to Jerusalem, where the temple, through the worship had been restored, through Hezekiah, uh, uh, Ezra, they decided to rebuild the temple, but the wall of the city itself was in ruins. And uh, this is so dishonoring to God. Uh, he felt deeply about that and so he with a band of people went back and rebuilt the walls and we've been tracking that over the last few weeks, it's sort of summer term so do catch up if you missed any of those. It's been a really excellent series, we had a range of speakers, I've been really inspiring. Uh, but personally I've got loads more out of Nehemiah than I, I think I thought I would in, in the preparation of it and the reading of, of that book. Uh, so we're just this week and next week, we're kind of wrapping it up with um, uh, some sort of concluding reflections. So that's what um, I'm going to come on to you as we read this in a few minutes. But just, just sort of by way of introduction, uh, there's an expression, they say the Greeks have a word for it. Uh, and that is to say that the Greek language in, in general is, is far more expressive, they have far more words to cover sort of every kind of nuance or idiom than, than we do in our language. Uh, and the example I'm thinking of is the word time. We just have the one word time. And that covers a whole range of different sort of slight nuances or or meanings. Uh, And the Greek language has two words for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. Chronos, from which we get our our English word chronology, which is just a, a kind of mapped out sequence of time, like a timeline. Um, it's exactly that, it just describes sequential time. But you'd use chronos to describe the fact that there are 60 seconds in a minute, or that there are seven days in a week. It's just a measurement of increments of time. And that forms seven days a week, as so a chronology. But kairos is used to describe, if you like, a moment within chronos. It's a moment within time, within sequential time in any particular day and something happens. Or in a particular week, the, the chronology of the week, but something happens. And that's, that's something, that, that moment or that season is kairos. Kronos, kind of, it, it's, it's just objective, it's it, it, impassionate, it's just a description. It doesn't really, other than just to be register in our rational minds as a way of measuring and ordering time. It doesn't really do much more than that. But kairos, at the moment, is what grabs the whole of us, it. not just our minds, but actually even more significantly, I think, our emotions, our, our guts. So if I said to you, um, the 11th of September, you, it's, that's, a, that's an example of sort of chronos, it's just a, a particular date. And, and so your mind is sort of, yeah, the 11th of September. But if I now say 9/11, I've actually tri- I've, I've gone from Kronos to Kairos. The most, if you know what I'm referring to, when the planes hit the to Twin Towers, and 9/11, that's just a date. But that's it was a, it was a particular on that particular date in that particular moment something happened that actually transformed much of the way the Western world understood itself in relation to the rest of the world. It it changed history. That's Kairos. And you, probably in your mind right now, you've got images of smoking tires and planes and President Bush panicking and, and the whole sort of thing and all the repercussions. You, if I asked you to turn on and do it, but if I asked you to turn to your partner now, you, you could spend five or six minutes just talking about nine eleven. 11 Kairos. Um, little visual aid. We, um, we tend to think of our lives... Uh, your plan for your life. We tend to sort of slip into chronos. It's anything that, you know, here I am, riding on a bike in my life, there's, there's heaven, uh, and i uh, maybe just are looking sort of we're upward trajectory. But um, we we're, were, actually, it was <laughs> a slight upward <different> trajectory. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's all right. It's <laughs> But we've noticed it. Uh, <laughs> chronos. Um, but the reality is that God interacts with us, if you like, his plan for our lives, he interacts in chaos, and and actually the reality of our lives is that they look much more like the bottom than the top, we don't really live, grow and know transformation in our lives through cross, it's, it's through the ups and downs, the kairos. These, these are all kairos moments. Kairos are, oh my goodness, and then, whoa. So there are, there are kind of victories, and uh, there's a sort of standard wave of moments. But there are also tests and trials. I, I realise that's quite small. You I need to come and see it and inspect it later on. We, we live in the kairos moments. The, the moments that challenge us in particular, actually, the times we find quite tough, those moments seize us. That get our emotion, our gut, of when God interacts with us, we become even more aware of Him, and that's where transformation and growth takes place. Now, um, there's a guy called um, Laurie Green who's written a kind of standard text called The Pastoral Cycle, and uh, what I'm going to do is, is really just very briefly us through the pastoral cycle uh, as it's mapped out by Nehemiah just in these first four verses that's all I'm going to read um, so we're going to go back right, to, the, to the start of the story of Nehemiah <clears throat> and let's see how he uh, made the most of a Kairos moment Actually, so there's several Kairos moments but he made the most of a, a, a moment in his life that forever changed his life his ministry and actually the history of Israel up until the time of, of Jesus Actually, just a a little aside, as a a preacher, you often often get horses that ride by and you think, shall I jump on that? And and often I think, no, leave it, leave it, leave it, but this horse I'm just going to jump on. When Jesus, according to Mark, when Jesus said, the time has come, repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of God is near. That word time is chaos. The moment has come for Israel. of Israel, nothing's happened for 400 years. And then Jesus, who, who's been around for 30 years, they know who he is. Matt Joseph. the carpenter's son. They know who he is. He's, they've just sort of seen him in... They've just sort of marked him in chronos time. And then he says in the middle of chronos, after 30 years, the Kairos has come. And, and from then on, the blind saw, and the lame were healed, and uh, the kingdom became manifestly present. Kairos. So that's when transformation takes place. Let's listen to uh, this uh, introduction to the story of Nehemiah that forever changed Israel's history up to the time of Jesus when another Kairos moment changed it into a whole new realm. (coughs) So, chapter 1, verse 1 The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I'll pause it there. He goes into that prayer, which we we looked at at the start of this series. It's a prayer of confession, and then it's the prayer of sort of passionate supplication. Just verse 11. Just to remind ourselves. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favour in the presence of this man. i.e. the king. I was cut bare to the king. So there was a, a kairos moment. There was what um, Laurie Green calls... Uh, a situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's another Kairos moment. <laughs> uh, we can all sit and go, that could be me. Um. <laughs> So the situation, a Kairos moment, and it was when um, Hanani, one of his brothers, verse two, came from Judah. Because the context, just to remind us, is Hezekiah is in in exile. So he's in a foreign country, he's eating foreign food, foreign language, foreign idioms, foreign customs, foreign tastes and smells, everything is foreign. I I imagine there were times when, when Nehemiah felt intensely homesick, just out of sorts. Um, having to work hard to feel in and at home. And in that context, one of his brothers comes from Judah. Someone who he knows really well comes from a place he's really familiar with. Ah, oh. I was at a conference the other day, and it was a whole load of people. It was a Christian leaders conference, so there were lots of Christians and lots of leaders. I'm a Christian and a leader, so I had a lot in common with the people there. I hardly knew any of them. So I was kind of making small talk and polite sort of conversation with all of them. It was all very nice, but I kind of, you know, you know, when you're endlessly making small talk, it's quite. So then I bumped into someone who I'd known for 20 years. Ah, changed the conference. As this one person, oh hey, hey, how hey. you doing? Completely changed. Kairos moment in that context. Same here. There's a Kairos moment as Hanani comes, and. And Nehemiah is, is alert to this moment. In the chronos, in the, just the day, the day, the day, the day, boom. Now here's Hanani. Come from Judah. And so in this Kairos moment, this is the next thing on the partial side for you to, to worry Gray. Exploration. When a, when a moment arrives that you recognize, uh, you, you can, something happens, you explore. What, what's going on here? So uh, we see in verse two, uh, Hanani, my brothers, one of brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem itself. I want to know about the people, and I want to know about the place. Tell me, exploration. Here's an opportunity, I haven't heard anything. I'm distant, I'm far away. How are the guys doing? Who's there? How are they doing? Who's still with a heart for the Lord? Who still hangs on the words of the prophets? Who's still longing, looking? And who's, who's, not, who's withdrawn, disappeared, not around so much? And how's the place? How's Jerusalem? How's it looking? And of course he, he hears this devastating news. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they're in great trouble and disgrace. It's, it's not going well. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Thorough exploration. What's going on and how is everyone? How is everything? Um, Laurie Green recommends in this, in this cycle that the situation demanding exploration, that we, we question. Through the lens, if you like, of our of our minds, what are the facts? What's what are actually the facts of this situation, of this moment? What is actually going on that I can measure, quantify? But also through the, the, if you like, the eyes of your heart, your emotions. What is what is my gut response? To, to kind of learn to tune in to you. In, I can sort of feel it here because it's it's kind of here. You know, it's something. You, do you know those kind of situations that, that elicit a response where you can kind of feel your gut slightly tighten? Oh, you just tighten on, on the inside. You hear a, a bit of balance, so you look in your diary, you think, oh no, I've got, I've got this coming up, or well, that coming yeah. oh". along. Uh, something you're, you're not looking forward to, some kind of test or challenge. Ooh. And other times, like when I met that mate at the conference, ah, I, I, feel, I feel the almost the cells has so opened up. It's the ability to, to listen to your, your gut, your soul, your emotion, and for those of us that are Christian, to, to tune into God, to listen to and pay attention to the spirit of God in you. As you hear news, as you explore, in this situation, in this moment, what is going on? Sometimes it's quite helpful maybe to almost imagine stepping out of yourself, like literally stepping out of yourself so that you can, you can actually look at yourself and, and see, are you, are you joyful at the moment or are you a little bit tense? And step out of yourself and look down on yourself, look up at yourself. How are you? And what's behind that? What's driving, pushing, nudging, squeezing You exploration. So Nehemiah questions these guys. And then Laurie Green strikes the third stage of the the cycle is is reflection. Verse 4 When I heard these things I sat down and wept. When I heard these things, I sat down. Sitting down is, uh, he goes on to describe how he mourned. It's a posture in, uh, in um, kind of Jewish culture. It's a posture of, of mourning, of sadness. He used to stand to pray and lift, lift arms actually raise arms to pray. But a posture of kind of sadness or of mourning is to sit and to be bowed. He so used to sit cross-legged or even just kneeling down, bowed down. But that, actually that sitting, if you think about it in our context, like you're sitting now, is stillness. You are are relatively still. (laughs) I can't speak for your insides, but physiologically you're still. You're not racing around, you're not chasing for the bus, or racing for the tube, or dashing to get to that meeting. we are not sort of racing, uh, at least on the outside. You may be racing in your head. (laughs) using this opportunity to think through the next week and all the things that are coming up. I understand that, that's fine. If if it's useful between you and the Lord, take it. But at least as we sit, there's a chance we might be still in our 24-7 rush, 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 kind of global village that London is. It's sort of this international cosmopolitan city. Busy, busy, busy. And, And many of us with busy lives within that busy city Reflection, it's a challenge to be still, as Nehemiah was. And within that stillness, as he reflects on what he's heard, the questioning of Hanani, to give expression to what's going on in his heart, I sat down and wept. The emotion of hearing about his kith and kin. Hearing about his kinsfolk and hearing about the city, it's not going well. They're in trouble and distress. The Jerusalem is in ruins. That's a line, as you may remember as we went through this, that's repeated. Um, the second half of verse 3, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And that phrase is repeated two or three times in the first few chapters of Nehemiah. It's obviously a kind of refrain. It's something that sat with him. So he, he kind of churns it out like a sort of mantra. This is the state of play in my homeland. And it causes him to weep. Reflection. In the Kairos moment, in this moment that stopped you, in the chronos of life, in this Kairos, as you inspect it and interrogated what's going on here, what's actually going on, my head, my heart, the whole of myself, how does this make me feel? What, what's an appropriate initial response to this joy? Anger? Frustration? And maybe as those initial responses come out, further reflection what's behind the frustration? Why am I frustrated at that or at them? Is there anything underneath the anger that I'm tempted to express? Why am I crying? They're the just legitimate questions. I mean, there's no edge to the question. They're just good questions to ask. What's going on here? Reflection. I sat down and wept. I guess for Nehemiah, we see this through the, the rest of the story, don't we? just his, his resolve, his perseverance. We, we know all, the, all that he, he went through subsequently. I guess he's, he's learning to recognise just how deeply he feels about this. This matters to Nehemiah. This matters deeply. Notice this as we come on to Laurie forth. fourth. The response that kind of began to get into this. The situation, the Kairos moment that elicits exploration, a reflection, and then towards a the response. Do you notice? The response, verse four, I heard these things, I sat down, I wept, there's, if you like, an initial response, and then look at this. For some days, for some days I mourned, I fasted, and prayed. He, he took time just with himself in his initial response. We, we know the end of the story. We, we know he goes to Jerusalem, he, he ordered the order he builds the wall in record time, uh, and in that time, he fends off opposition. In that time, he has to deal with injustice and sort of insurrection from within the ranks. He's got all sorts of things to deal with. He's unbelievably organised in the way... <laughs> we can go through chapter three, because it's a little bit prosaic, but just, it's sort of just a list by list by list of the tribes and the responsibilities that each of them had in the rebuilding. This tribe to that wall, this tribe to that gate, this just Incredibly organised. Unbelievable. All this stuff. I mean, that didn't just happen. That's a considered response. But before all of that before he's even gone to Jerusalem, before he's even gone to the king. For some days, he sits, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays. In other words, because of this thorough exploration and deep reflection, it's, it's a, it's a full on, wholehearted, we might say, response. It's, it's the whole of himself. In, in, in the morning, it's a recognition that he's lost something. It's grief. There's, there's something so important, it's a part of me that I'm, I'm in danger of losing here. And, and so he allows himself to, to grieve that. I, I wonder actually, in, in our charge along the chronos, as we, as we pedal like mad, oh, I've lost it, some there, you remember it, on the bike. As we pedal like mad along that line, I wonder if we we just don't allow ourselves enough time in the kairos moments to to grieve those things, those people, those moments that we move on from and in effect we we lose. I'm not talking about catastrophic loss of the death of someone close to us, although obviously that's that's crucial to, to allow proper and healthy grief, but I'm just thinking, in the moving on of a stage. Maybe you leave a set of housemates and move on to form new partnerships in a new house. It may be that you move on from a piece of work or from uh, working with a particular colleague. It may be that uh, 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 family members move on in some way. This example for us is recently our son graduated, no more school. He's whipping his waterboard in the air going, yay, and, and we're going, yay. And there's a part of us, if, we're honest, and if we're healthy, i like, ooh, because that's the end of an era. <laughs> I got out his, little, his first football boot I ever got him the other day, it's about that big. Yeah, I kind of, I could film myself, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry, just Sorry. give this little moment. Right, <laughs> <laughs> just, in the business of anything else, i on not going to have to speak to myself here. Just enough time to, to, to as it were, appropriately, mourn those things so that I can be integral in the moment, really in, the, in these kairos moments. What's going on here? As Luke graduates into the big bad world, what's going on in me? Time for us, like Nehemiah, to, to mourn, to fast. Fasting is when we, we temporarily give up something that is good and maybe even important. It's important to eat food, to drink. It's important to do the, the things that make us, us maybe just watching TV, uh, social media, that kind of thing. It's all sort of part of the world we live in and they're important to a good degree. So when we fast them, when we temporarily put them to one side for a season, minutes, it's saying, I want to make something else disproportionately more important. Lord, I want to bring you front and center so I'll clear space from other good things. I might go without food for a day, without social media for a week in order that I can clear space to prioritise you. He does that by way of his response before he goes to the king, before he goes to Jerusalem. He prays. He brings God, who is the God of all Kronos and all Kairos. He brings God into the picture. Mm -hmm. He prays. I want to suggest that that this thorough trip round what Laurie Green describes as the pastoral cycle enables Nehemiah to, to address the situation when he comes to the situation of Jerusalem in a, in a transformed and transforming way. There's no knee-jerk reaction to his trip to Jerusalem. It enables him to deal with Tobiah and Samballot and uh, all the others who oppose him. It enables him to deal with the injustice from within. He's got a plan, he's got a scheme because, because he spent all this time around here exploring every option. What, what's going on? Who's against? What are the kind of political situations that are uh, at play? Where might I expect opposition if we affect a change in Jerusalem? He's thought about it. So he's ready with a response. All because he's he's recognised and responded Kairos moments, this Kairos moment amid the chronos. Final final reflection from Laurie Green in his book, and I think this is kind of important for many of us. Laurie Green says that too often in the business of life, what we do I'm gonna have to a pass, gonna have a shout, is we jump from situation to response. Something happens, we respond. Something else happens, we respond again. Something else happens, and we respond. In fact, some people are prized in their job for being able to make quick decisions. Boom, boom, boom. That's what we pay you for. To go situation response, situation response. And we become so good at it that we atrophy in our ability to ask the real questions, and the deep questions, and the probing questions, and the wide range of questions. And to be still, even in the midst of rush and hurry and stress and pressure, just to be still for a moment, to reflect, to think, to pray. So our response is not a rushed, knee jerk one, but a thoughtful, considered one. We're we're living to the beat of a different drum. it's tempting just to soar political points up. I, 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 I wonder though, I wonder whether if we'd spent just a little bit more time post referendum thinking about and reflecting on that result, I, I wonder whether we would have saved ourselves some of the muddle and confusion that we find ourselves in as a, as a nation. Incredibly difficult. But because it was, because of the complexity that emerged, not least from apparently. I'm told the very next day, the most googled question after the referendum was, what is the EU? That ought to tell whoever was aware of that information, that ought to tell us that we need to do quite a bit more exploration, quite a bit more reflection before we rush into significant, hugely significant decisions. I'm not trying to make a political point, I'm just trying to make a point that God's people are called at national level to walk to the beat of a different drum, not driven by four year terms, Whatever it might be, in all the different departments. I'm, I remember I used to be a teacher, just to throw my eyes up at what the next Secretary of State for Education was going to sort of dump our way as a teacher when we were only just finished digesting the last diktat from on high, as it felt. But actually, in, in the church as well, I'd say the National Church, Church of England, is in, in danger of not spending enough time exploring and reflecting in order to make considered responses to some of the pressure demands from our liberal cultural pressure right at the moment. And ourselves, as individuals. I wonder if we don't allow ourselves enough time in the day-by-day as day we pedal along that bike in the chronos to pay attention to the kairos, the that leads to proper exploration. What's going on here? What is this making me feel? Where's that coming from? What do I now think? And what is, on reflection, an appropriate response that enables me to both transform and be transformed within that situation as God works in me. I think we see it in Nehemiah. I think we see it in a number of biblical characters throughout scripture. And we've seen it in Nehemiah. It uh, kind of catalyzed there in the first four verses of chapter one. And we see it detonated through the whole of the story. So, so what about us? In the way in which God, as he called Nehemiah back there, back then, is calling us to live and work to his praise and glory here and now. Do we recognize Kairos moments and work our way through a cycle like Laurie Green recommends in order that we can live even more effective lives to God's glory? I'd like to instigate a Kairos moment now, which is just that we stay still and quiet. You may want to put, I don't know, books down and... and things down, you just invite you to sit comfortably, kind of upright, but relaxed.